So guess what? Today is our last Sunday in our series on the book of Philippians. And um, I don't know about you, but I have been encouraged all over again uh, by the book of Philippians, a short little book, four chapters, but I've just been encouraged soaking in. I've been encouraged listening to the other pastors uh, preach. I've been encouraged as I hear stories about how people are, are applying it when, uh, you know, wrestling, uh, grappling with what it means to have joy in a broken world, and our world is broken, isn't it? My goodness. And yet Paul says you can still have very real joy, and it doesn't depend on your circumstances. The world can be broken, and yet you could still be filled with, with joy. And so he kind of just hammers that through the whole uh, book of, of Philippians. And um, what we see, I think, as we look through the teachings of Paul in this letter to the Philippians is that, you know, there is so much more to life than constantly chasing our own security, constantly chasing our, our own comfort, even though that's what we do like all the time. And Paul says, you know, you got to snap out of it. And he snaps us out of it by reminding us of the good news of God's grace, of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And that per our purpose is so much bigger than all that. We still chase that, that security. We still chase that comfort, even though it constantly rips us off and lets us down. And then deep down, I think within all of us, there's like this nagging feeling, this nagging suspicion that, that grows and haunts us that, that our, our self-promotion and our self-preservation will never, ever lead to the true joy and significance that we long for. It still leaves us empty. And the ironic thing is, is that our pursuit of freedom ironically ends up enslaving us. So the scriptures teach us that the key to what it is that we're really looking for, the key to what we're really looking for is to die to self, to love God and to love others with commitment. And so the question is, how does that happen? Well, here's where we got to start. If, if that question has, has, um, is important to you at, at all, here's where you got to start. It is our creator that has called us to love him and to love others. Our creator has called us to love our neighbors and to love our city. It is why God created you. It's why God created all of us. He has called you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, all of us together, he has called us to share the good news of God's grace in both word and deed with the people that God has placed in our lives, the people that God has placed around us. Now, this is why we say that, that our mission here at Infusion is to glorify God as we lead people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family. Now, now here's, here's the thing. As I reflect on uh, 2016, can you believe 2016 is almost over? I mean, 2000, I mean, for me, it's just 
bam, it's like gone. It's, two, hello, 2017. It, it, is, it is absolutely crazy. But as I reflect on everything that's happened in 2016, it, it's encouraging to see how, how God has empowered us in this mission. Now, we've had our plans and our goals, and then it turns out that God has his plans and his goals, and then he has guided us through that and has blessed us in ways and empowered us in ways that, that I, I never even uh, imagined. And so even though we continue to face challenges, I think we have seen some pretty um, encouraging progress. For example, uh, Infusion Kids. I mean, I have been so blessed to watch um, Joey and Stacy Benson be servant, like true servant leaders to the kids, to the teachers, and to their parents. I mean, they've been an incredible blessing in providing some much-needed leadership to, to like, raise these kids up in the knowledge and the nurture and the admonition of, of the Lord. It's been awesome to watch. In addition to that, this, for the second year in a row, we have given more to benevolent, our benevolence fund to help people in need than since I could ever remember. It's been another strong year where we were in a position to be able to help people in need. It has been awesome for me to watch uh, the, the team of pastors, all of us including me, kind of grow in experience and grow in, in maturity, and God has thrown us a few pretty crazy uh, curveballs to shape us and mold us and to, to teach us to, to pray together and depend on God for, for guidance as, as he has called us to be servant leaders here in this church, and it's been, uh, I've had a front row seat to that. And just so blessed to watch the, the pastors, uh, all of us, grow. I've been encouraged by people who are carving out every Tuesday night to be part of a strategy team to try to figure out what are the resources God has given us and what's the best use for them, for the kingdom of God. And so week in and week out, we have a whole new, I mean, it's just been wonderful. And we are on the verge, I think, in 2017 to do more in terms of outreach and blessing uh, our neighbor, neighbors in practical ways uh, than ever before. Now, that kind of stuff just doesn't happen by dropping in on a Sunday morning. It doesn't happen that way. It has required a, a commitment to work with each other through thick and thin. It, it, it requires us to pray together, to pray for each other, with each other. It requires sacrifice from everybody, knowing that it's worth it because Jesus is worthy. Amen? Now, if we are going to live this out, we must wrestle with a very important question. Is that what will it take for us to be a church on mission. And in a word we, we keep coming back to is generosity. It's critical. That among other things, but this is critical. It's generosity. We must continue to grow as a church. We must continue to grow as a, a down-to-earth, compassionate family of faith that is actually living generously throughout the week together. Right? A people who are, who are generous with our resources, meaning with our time and our abilities and our money. A church that, that puts our money where our, 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 and our sacrifice where our mouth is, where we say that our heart is. And you know what? 
it's not just writing a check <laughs> or charging or doing an electronic transfer or, or dropping a few bucks. It is a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle of generosity. Day in and day out. You're just white. You just view the world differently when, when generosity gets um, just shaped and formed in, in, in your heart. I remember when I, was, when I planted a church in South Bay, San Diego, a long time ago, there was a high school uh, couple, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, that, that started showing up to church. They were like super punk rock, and he had like a mohawk that, that went up to here and shirt with profanity all over it, but they were showing up because people were loving them, and they were hearing the, the, the gospel message. And, and I remember one Sunday night, uh, we had our services on Sunday night, I was talking to them, and somebody told me that we didn't have any creamer for the coffee. And uh, the young woman said, oh, we'll, we'll go get some. I'm all, great. I didn't know they had any money. I didn't know they had a car. Uh, they didn't. But, you know, a little while later, they show up. And I look on the, on the table where the coffee is, and there's all these little cups of, of creamer, like more than enough for everybody. These two kids brought up. And I asked them later, where did you get it? They said, you know what? It was free. We just went down to 7-Eleven. They have all kinds of them. We just filled our pockets and came back to church. <laughs> <laughs> It's a thought that counts, right? <laughs> that's just the way they viewed things. They wanted, they wanted to help, you know, and from their understanding, that's how they, that's how they do it. We all do it in, in different ways. It is a lifestyle. And the truth is, you don't have to be rich to live a lifestyle of generosity. You know how I know this? Because I know so many of you are broke. And even though that you're broke, Many of you are still setting the pace for everyone else. I mean, it's been amazing. Why? How can you do that? Because you all figured out that it's God's grace that inspires us and enables us to be generous, to live generously. Now, our text this morning and our last passage in the book of Philippians talks about sacrificing something that we all cherish, all of us, and that's our money. And as more and more of our people struggle financially and more and more of our people in our church are struggling you know, financially, uh, this issue has become more and more important. Now, whenever you, know, you talk about uh, money, it's, I think it's good to, to keep in mind that there are several different types of people uh, in the room. I know that, that for those of you who could be consistently generous if you really wanted to but aren't, there could be a temptation for you to just throw money at your guilt. I'm not interested in that. We're not interested in that. First of all, it doesn't work. Second of all, you have to start by looking at your relationship with Jesus. It all starts there. And then for those of you who want to be consistently generous but are in a major financial hole, it is not my desire to make you feel guilty. I want you to feel the freedom to ask for help. And for those of you who are consistently generous, I hope that this message is a reminder that you are not crazy. The world will think that you are crazy. You give you give. 10% of your income uh, for, for others? I mean, that's a lot. You must be crazy. But if you understand what's behind all this, you realize that there's life in it, and it's one of the best things ever. 
Now, if you're new and you're just checking things out, I'm here to tell you. I hope you hear me clearly. We are not after your money. We're just glad that you're here. And it's my hope that you see us as a church that wants to grow in generosity to bless others, including you. That's what we want to be. So, to kick things off, one of the most important questions you can ask is the question, why? Right? So that's where we're going to start. Why in the world should we grow in generosity? Well, one reason, if you're taking notes, is that it encourages others. It encourages others. It is a blessing to them. It ministers to them, especially to people who are in trouble. In verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, it was kind of you to share in my trouble, to help carry the the burden, to share in my hard times. And the Apostle Paul was in major trouble when he wrote this, right? Remember what's going on? He's locked up in a dungeon on death row, right? But guess what? The Philippians, the people of the church that he's writing to, I mean, they had their troubles too. And they were intense. The Philippian church was under severe persecution. And with that severe persecution came severe poverty. And in their persecution and in their poverty, they took an offering for the ministry. And Paul was encouraged. Paul says in another translation, this is good of you. Why? Because when you give sacrificially out of love, I'm telling you, there is something about it that makes Christ's sacrifice and love for you more real. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in in a minute. Um, But it encourages, it encourages others. Now, most of you, if you know me, how many of you here know me? Most of you, right? If you know me, uh, you know that ever since my wife, Shannon, had, had a stroke, life has been uh, more challenging for us as, as a family. You all know that. Uh, but also what I want to emphasize this morning is that through it all, our family has been incredibly, like, incredibly blessed by you. You have encouraged us greatly. We've been amazed how the people that we are serving have served us. I mean, with finances, yeah, but just in so many other ways as well. I mean, you make it possible for us to hang in there. You have been family to us. And, and, and I cannot tell you how incredibly grateful we are. And I cannot, I don't have words to describe how much I love my church family. I say that every Sunday morning, but I got to tell you, it's... My heart just overflows with gratitude and, and love for, for my church family. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I feel it. I feel it for sure. And you know what? I've noticed that, that we've not only been helped by people who are well off, but also people who have their own struggles. I mean, they don't let their challenges stop them. They, they get creative. And like that other couple I was telling you about. No. I don't think anybody's stolen anything from a store to give it to us, but they have been creative. And we noticed, and guess what? We've been encouraged. And, and your life of generosity encourages others to be generous. The Apostle Paul, 
um, says in another letter to the church in Corinth, he says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches out of the most severe trial. Their, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. That, I mean, they urgently pleaded with them. That's something you don't see every day. Paul wasn't even going to ask the Philippians to help, uh, you know, the ministry financially because he knew how bad a shape they were in. But Paul says they urgently pleaded uh, with us for the privilege to give. That's just something that doesn't make sense to the world. And so they encourage the Corinthians to be generous too. All right, secondly, we should grow in generosity because it is an investment in eternity. In verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, not that I seek the gift, that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. All right, so now he's using banking terminology here to describe our investment in eternity, right? When, when, when things get tough financially, and I think everybody's been there. When things get tough financially, I mean, it has, it reminds us that our material things, our money, our bank account, it can just all blow away. I mean, like that. And so many of you have experienced it, right? It's just gone. Poof. I mean, you were budgeting, your calendar was all organized, you had a plan for every day of the week, uh, you had investments, this and that, and then you get hit by a storm of one kind or another and just wipes everything out, right? It can be gone like that. But Paul is telling us that our investments in eternity cannot and never will be wiped out. It will never blow away. Paul says to Timothy in, a, in another letter, he says, tell the rich to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure in heaven. So what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that being generous is the only safe investment for all eternity. Okay? We we usually invest in things that, that wear out. We invest in things that, that, that leave us empty or things that get repossessed, right? There are only two things that last forever, and that's God word, God's word and the souls of people. And Paul says, invest in that because it's eternal. Third, and most importantly, okay? Most importantly, we should grow in generosity because it worships God. In verse 18, he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, you know what? I'm not sure that we totally get this, that, that we really get what, what Paul's saying here. Because I think it's very natural for most people to view giving uh, as a tax that we'd like to get out of. 
right? And then we start haggling over, do I give out of gross or net or whatever? I mean, it's like you're missing the whole point. The whole point. This is an act of worship. And we're privileged to participate in it. And so my question for you is, is it worship? Is it worship? One of my, my favorite stories whenever I talk about giving is, is about Scottish Presbyterians. Got to love the Scottish Presbyterians. About 100 years ago, these Presbyterians, we are, they were on fire for God. And, and they, were planted, they were planting churches all over the place, especially in, uh, throughout Ghana in Africa. And with you know, good intentions, uh, these Scottish Presbyterians kind of imposed their extremely formal culture on the people. And their attitude basically said, you know, if you want to worship God, you have to worship him our way with our high church liturgy. And I'm telling you, liturgy and ceremony can be very good and valuable, but they made it a required deal, and they kind of moralized it. And so it was completely countercultural to the, to the people. And you know what happened when they did that? There came a point when the people of Ghana could not hold back their expressions of, of gratitude and worship any longer. And do you know where in the worship service that expression of gratitude and worship finally broke through? It was when it came time for them to worship the Lord with their tithes and offerings. They could not keep from dancing. They could not keep from singing as they, as they gave their gifts. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver, a hilarious giver, because we're so overwhelmed with amazing joy. And one of the Scottish Presbyterian missionaries wrote that the only time during the service that they couldn't, you know, hold back anymore uh, was when it was time to worship God with their tithes and offerings. And you know what? In a very real way, in a very real way, God smiles too. You know why? Because it has nothing to do with guilt trips. It has nothing to do with, with manipulation or trying to earn some kind of kick down from God. Because if it's a response of gratitude if it's for, for God's love, it's a response of gratitude for God's grace, it becomes a fragrant offering that is pleasing to God. It is a time that, that we can reflect on God's generosity to us and then we're compelled to worship him. Do you see that? And the fourth thing I'll mention is we should grow in generosity because it shows us that God will meet our needs. In verse 19, Paul says that, and my God might supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Is that what it says? Is that what it says, that God might supply all your needs? No, he says God will supply all of your needs. The question is, do you believe that this morning? Do you believe it? Check the joy in your heart when things get tight financially. You know, there are two false ideas regarding money that are popular in a church. One is that God wants everybody to be rich, and the other one is that God wants everybody to be poor. Both are wrong. God simply promises to take care of his kids. Right? If you are a child of God, you can count on that. You can count on it. 
and you experience God meeting all your needs as you are generous. Because we'll remember that God has already provided our, our needs because when we give, we give out of gratitude. And if we are filled with gratitude, guess what happens? We're just not as selfish. We're just not as demanding or spoiled or stingy, right? And we realize that God's grace is more than enough. And then generosity just flows out of our, out of our heart and our lives. It truly becomes a blessing to live generously. So there you go. Four good reasons to be radically generous. How's it going? <laughs> How's it going for us? How's it going for you? Well, maybe I should jump to the next question. Why aren't we growing in generosity? All right? We all struggle with growing in generosity. We all do. And, for, and why is that? Why do we struggle? Well, for most people, the short answer is this, that we love money. All right? Now, there are generous people who don't have any money but still find ways to be generous. I am not talking about them. I'm talking about people who could be generous but aren't. Usually, it's because of a love of money. Now, I have found a passage out of Hebrews whenever I talk about this touchy subject of, of uh, this awkward subject of money, um, a, a passage that is actually awkward, and it's, but it's important, and so I bring it up every time. It's out of Hebrews. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Now, why, why does God combine? I mean, starts talking about sex, and the very next thing is talking about money. Why does he do that? Well, in that culture, it wasn't very much different from our culture. The, the, the idolatry and the temptations then are very similar, uh, same, same idolatry and temptations that we face today. In our culture, we want to share sex with anyone. But in our culture, we want to keep our money for ourselves. Our culture is promiscuous with sex, but our culture is completely devoted to our money. But here, God calls us to totally reverse that. And he, he puts these two things together to tell us, don't share sex with just anyone. It's reserved for a husband and a wife. But be promiscuous with your money. Share that with others. And so I think the next logical question, if we're taking this seriously, is how do I know if I have a love for money, an inappropriate love for money that's keeping me from being generous? Well, here's how. If you're examining your hearts, uh, this is what I have to ask myself. Uh, this is how we can all evaluate our lives. People who love money spend money on themselves first and usually only on themselves. And if they give anything, it's just kind of like a tip or something, you know? Or they worry about money, hoard it, and never let go of it. 
And you know what's weird about that? Is that both the wasteful spender and the tightwad both love money. They're no different than each other as far as the heart issue goes. Why? Why do we love money so much? We love it because we, what we think we can get with it. I think the two most popular things that people are after when they hold on to their money or strive for money, when they inappropriately uh, prioritize the acquisition of it, people are chasing like stability. Another word for that, I guess, could be security. Or they're chasing comfort. It's like one of the two usually. And then there's, of course, other people are, are pursuing, you know, approval or respect or control. And here's what I know about me personally. I know that I need to repent of my worry over money on a regular basis. And I know that I need to grow in that. With, with the increase of, you know, medical costs and, and increase in living expenses, our, 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 our family's plan of giving has uh, suffered, And so we've had to be creative with, with our generosity. And a lot of it's spontaneous. It requires cuts in our budget and a lot of prayer, you know. So, so I know the struggle just like you guys do. And what we got to be on guard against, I think, in the middle of all that, is looking to good things like money to save us, to give us life, to give us the security and the comfort uh, uh, that, that we're, we're looking for. And then we realize we've made money an idol. We're looking to that instead of God. We're trusting that instead of God. So, so what does it look like then? Uh, what's it look like when we are set free from the slavery of, of that kind of idolatry from money? Well, in the Old Testament, you can look to the Old Testament and get a little bit of an, uh, an idea. In the Old Testament, the basic guideline for giving was the tithe, which was 10% of their gross income. It was given to support the Levites' ministry to the poor. But then, in the New Testament... God's people were giving far beyond 10% of their income. And do you know what happened in the early church? Acts chapter 5 says that there were no needy people among them. What that means is that in the early church, because of that generosity, poverty was eliminated in the church. I mean, that's amazing to me. And beyond poverty being eliminated in the church, poverty was being eliminated in the surrounding areas of the church because the, the church had all of their needs met and then they were blessing the people in their city. And there are still people like this. Again, a lot of times there are the people in the church who are struggling the most financially. And I have seen over and over and over again uh, People who, who need help and get help, and then once they get on their feet, they make a generous financial gift and ask us to use it to help the next person in need. Now, did they need to do that? No way. But it makes sense that they did, right? Most people, here's the deal, most people, as their income increases, so does their lifestyle and standard of living. But others, for others, as they make more, they give more. So the, the breakdown to generosity is slavery to the love of money. And our final point here is how can we be set free from that kind of slavery? 
How can we be set free and grow in generosity? The only way to truly, genuinely grow in generosity is by knowing the generosity of God. Just being so overwhelmed by God's generosity that he has shown to you. That is what Paul's saying here. Look again in verse 19. It says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So, I mean, if it's not clear, I, 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 let me say it again. Paul's main purpose is not to separate us from our money. He wants us to focus on Jesus. And the way that we're going to experience love and the way that we're going to experience joy and the way that we are going to experience peace, no matter how bad our circumstances, no matter how messed up our relationships, no matter how strong and powerful are our cravings and how they can mess us up, the way that we are going to get through all that and grow in generosity is by looking at all of life through the lens of Jesus Christ. Who he is and what he has done for you. When we have that in mind, when we do that, when we see the generosity of God, it makes us generous. The most famous Bible verse in the scripture is, take a guess, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's easy to say, come on, that's not a verse that tells us how we should view money. No, it's not. It's a verse that shows us how we should view everything, including money. You look at everything through the lens of the gospel. God's generosity is the central message of the Bible. You go back to Genesis, Adam and Eve, they had everything. I mean, they were in paradise, right? They, and they decided it, it wasn't enough. So they blew off God, rejected him and his grace, and the result was separation from God and death and all the problems that we see today. But God, instead of wiping us out right then and there, God makes a promise to send a deliverer who would suffer for you and free you from sin and death and judgment. So when Jesus shows up, when this deliverer shows up, he lives the life that Adam and Eve should have lived. He lives the life that you and I should have lived. And then he died the death that we should have died. So instead of God's judgment, we receive God's generous blessing. Life eternal. A relationship with him. A blessing that we could never, ever earn. And Paul says, he says, Through, Though Jesus was rich, for your sakes he became poor. Now listen, we all need to face the reality here that every single one of us, including me, okay, every single one of us have failed miserably. Can we just own that? <laughs> you know, let's just admit it. None of us give regularly and generously with a pure heart, right? But there is one who has. There is one who does. And he generously gave all that he had. I mean, perfectly and completely and with pure motives. I mean, he left heaven's riches and came to earth as a servant to give it all away for us. 
And it's through faith in him that our sin of loving money is forgiven. And you get credit for his perfect life of generosity. That means that God, that God sees you as a perfectly generous person already in Christ. Okay? And so now what he says to us is, be who you already are in Jesus. Be the generous people you already are in Christ. This is your identity because you are in Christ by his grace and his grace alone. Now, I'm going to close with this, all right? I'm going to close with the question of how can we apply this in practical ways, right? Once we see how generous God has been to us, how can we live in response to that? By giving, okay? God's not just after your money, he's after your heart. And you need to know that God is not desperate for us to give. But we are desperate for us to give. Because it brings us face to face with our heart problem, our idolatry problem. It reminds us that we still need to know the generosity of Christ and be reminded of the generosity of Christ. So, Meditate on his generosity to you and then give. And there's so many different ways that you can give. If you are determined to give, you will find a way. Uh, financially or through service. Uh, you could sign up for one of our, our ministry teams. I mean, we have, we have this table set up in the back for Kairos Prison Ministry. And, you know, you may have heard us talk about it, but I'm here to tell you, as someone who has experienced it firsthand, there is nothing more moving than seeing somebody radically transformed by the simple good news of God's grace. And, and just to, to watch somebody go just, just kind of hard and protected and, and wanting to, to appear strong to just tears streaming down his face because he's overwhelmed by God's grace. That even God can forgive him for whatever uh, he has done. And it is powerful. Not only does it transform that person, but if you are there just to experience it all, it will build up your faith as well. There's nothing like it. I mean, most of them are just, they're just out of sight, out of mind. What an incredible opportunity to remind them of the love and grace of God. And, and one of the things you can do, you could talk to Kathleen, go back to the table, and one of the very simple thing you could do, uh, we talked about letters, it doesn't have to be a big old letter, just write a note of encouragement about God's love and, and grace. It doesn't have to be long at all. And, and write several of them, and the due date is next week. So today, if that's something that interests you, go back there, talk to, to Kathy, and figure out how it is that you can bless and encourage people who, who are locked up. I mean, that's something that God calls his church to do. In addition to that, again, you know what? You saw these beautiful children up here earlier. I, I talked about just how, how uh, Joey and, and Stacy have been providing some just amazing, encouraging servant uh, leadership. I mean, it's not just babysitting. I mean, you're looking to bless these kids. Now, if any of you grew up in the church, I know you remember a Sunday school teacher that blessed you, that encouraged you. In the first service, I saw 80-year-olds nodding their head. 
They didn't forget that stuff. What an incredible opportunity to have an impact on the life of a child by sharing the truth and love of Jesus with these children. So I would encourage you. That's one way you can give is by signing up to help out with infusion in kids. Reach out to your neighbors. Look for opportunities to serve them. Make them feel welcome here. If they show up, they're going to feel weirded out. But you can make them feel welcome. Determine to get more generous with your finances. You know, there's a, there's a woman in our church, I, I didn't announce it earlier, there's a, there's a woman who just needs help. She's one of the most generous people I know, and, and she, needs, she needs help. And she's not here today, but here's an opportunity for you to give a no one stands alone offering. If you want to help somebody in need who is generous, who is always looking to serve, serve others and give generously in creative ways, she needs financial help. That's something you could do for her. Then when it comes time to worship the Lord tithes and offerings, you can designate a certain amount on your, your check or, or write on the envelope how much you want to go to this woman so we could tell her, look, you don't stand alone. We got your back. We're going to help you out financially. You can do that this morning. I want you to know it's all worth it. The, the last thing I, um, I, I want to, to announce is that the elders have been talking about this, and our, our office manager and our strategy team have been talking uh, about what God would be leading us to, to do in light of the fact that, that Christmas morning falls on a Sunday. And one of the things that we've decided to do is when we collect our tithes and offerings on Sunday morning is to give every last red cent to the benevolence fund to help people in need. Everything that comes in. I mean, I would love for it to be the biggest offering we've ever collected on Sunday morning to go towards where every last red cent would go towards helping people in need. Now, that's the end of the year. Most organizations are struggling financially at the end of the year and trying to close the gap. So what that means is that we have to make sure that we are on track financially starting today until Christmas morning and then so that we're in a position on Christmas morning to be able to give everything to people who are in need, to bless them. And so I I want you to be praying about that, okay? Ask God, what is it that you want, want me to do as far as how can I play a part of this church where we can give uh, all that to people in need? Okay. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, again, I want to reemphasize we're not after your money. This is something that God calls Christians to do. And if you are a Christian, you are not going to find a better reason to give than knowing that Christ has been and continues to be generous to you. And because of that, you can live a generous life. If you don't know how to swing this practically, pray that God helps you to be creative. But also, I want you to feel the freedom to ask us for help. Maybe you're the someone who needs to receive generosity from your church family. And here's the bottom line. When you give, when you give in response to the gospel, you are declaring to your money, I don't ultimately need you. You are not my power. You are not my approval. You are not my security. You are not my comfort. Jesus is. 
And Jesus says to you, Infusion Church, you are a city on a hill. Infusion Church, let your light shine in such a way that people will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being so incredibly generous to us. When we did not deserve it and when we take, even when we take advantage of your generosity, you are still determined to be generous to us. And you were generous in the most profound way, not just providing for our physical needs, but also our need to be in relationship with you, our need to glorify you, uh, our, our need to be involved in your advancement of, of your, your kingdom. I'm just amazed that you would involve us in that. God, I pray that, that you would overwhelm us with your grace again. That, that, that we would not lose sight of, of the sin in our hearts. In fact, we pray that you would show us the sin in our hearts so that we can appreciate your grace that much more and be so overjoyed by the love and grace that you've shown to us that we would want to live for you and to obey you and to glorify you in every single area of our life. God, I, I pray that we would view generosity as a holiness issue. As, as something that, that, that reflects the nature of Jesus and points people to Jesus and is used to advance God's kingdom here and now. God, I pray, God, that the way that you work in and through us by your spirit would have a profound impact on a watching world, not to draw attention to ourselves, but to ultimately point them to a generous God. God, fill our hearts with gratitude. Show us in specific ways how we can express that gratitude to you and express it to the people by expressing it to the people around us. And God, I, I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that has not fully experienced your generosity because they can't see it, God, I pray that, that you would open their eyes to see your generosity. Maybe for the first time, understanding um, how generous you are when they look to the cross and they understand what it means that, that, that Jesus died as a sacrifice to satisfy the punishment for all of our sin and to, to give us peace and rest and joy and confidence in a relationship with you. And so God, this morning I pray that, that you would give them the gift of faith and give them the courage to follow you as their king and be loyal to you as part of the family. For the rest of us, God, show us our sin. 
in this time as we prepare our hearts uh, for the Lord's Supper. And then show us how great your grace is and how much you love us. We pray this in your name.